severely underqualified to do so. It's a hard thing. How do we handle it when we've been hurt? I had Kevin read this morning from Luke's account of the crucifixion there in Luke chapter 23. And it occurs to me that when we look at the disciples and how they followed Jesus for three and a half years, you're not going to find any of them here on this occasion, save maybe after a little while, John and the women who followed Jesus. You go back to the night before, whenever the disciples were there in the garden with Jesus, and as they came to arrest them, I think about the reactions that those disciples had. And how that's similar to when we're hurt and we, when we know that there's pain that's, that's coming or pain that's already here, how we have similar reactions to the disciples. Some of us, some of them, wanted to cut out. They immediately broke. In fact, Mark, I believe, would describe it as uh, you strike down the shepherd and the sheep are scattered. Those disciples, they didn't want to hang around. They wanted to get out of Dodge. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus on that occasion, did they? A lot of us, when we were hurt, we just think, how can I get out of the situation? How can I remove myself from the situation as quickly as possible? For some, the easiest thing in these days, then uh, the ability and the, the speed with which we can travel means that we just pick a different church. We go down to the church down the road. You know, I don't really find anything that deals with that in Scripture about church hopping as being an effective or a necessary way to resolve our differences and the ugliness that sometimes happens when we deal with people. Some people want to cut out. Some people want to start carving ears. You remember that Peter said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? He drew out his sword and he was ready to take off the head of that servant of the high priest, Malchus. And I tell you what, anger, fury, vengeance, all of those things can go through our minds in a very powerful way as we are hurt and as we're dealing with difficulty. <laughs> I'd entitled this, When You're Hurt. When I moved to the Houston area, I'd never heard of Jim Adler. But usually this is how his commercial starts. If you're hurt in an accident, call me. I'm the Texas Hammer. That's my best Jim Adler. You're welcome, okay? <laughs> you don't mess with Texas, do you? We want to pull out the Texas hammer and we want to start smashing some heads whenever we get angry. We want to be like Peter and try and carve ears. Some people want to try and carry on. I'm just not going to think about it. I think about Peter in John chapter 21 as, as after the Lord had, uh, had risen from the dead and Peter is kind of questioning his life and saying, what do I do now? Do I want to think about the pain and the hurt of the cross? Do I want to think about what my Lord has gone through? And instead he says, I'm just going to go fishing. It seems like he wanted to go back to his former lifestyle. He wanted to go back to being a fisherman. Sometimes we want to carry on and just say, I'm just not going to think about the hurt that was done to me. I'm just going to move on and perhaps maybe over time I can just sweep it under the rug and everything will be just fine. Again, not really an effective way to deal with the pain and the loss when we've been hurt. The truth of the matter is, is that the best way to deal with pain and hurt is to get crucified to realize that Jesus had every out, he could have done any of those other things. And yet he knew that there was a blessing that was involved in carrying the cross to Calvary, not only for the plan of God, but certainly, brothers and sisters, for you and me. There's blessing in the suffering and in the difficulty. 
Let me offer this caveat. There's blessing in the suffering and difficulty as long as we're seeking the will of God. Jesus always did the things that pleased the Father. That's not true of me and that's not true of you. But as I look to Jesus, as I consider his, him as my example, and if I think of who he is, and I think about how he responded, even whenever he was being nailed to that cross there in Luke 23, it offers me some hope and it offers you some hope when we're hurt. Let me give you five or so things to think about with regard to what we do when we're hurt and how we handle it. Number one, I'm going to say this, turn your face upward and focus on the Father. Turn your face upward and focus on the Father. Luke chapter 23, notice from the passage that Kevin read for us just a few moments ago, who could Jesus focus on that would have offered him some help and some comfort in that situation? Certainly not the disciples. The majority of them had already fled. Again, we read that John, uh, the, uh, John the brother of James, was there at the, at the cross. We know that those women, especially his mother, were there. But really, what help could they have offered? When he looks around at the faces, he hears the voices of those, his enemies, who are now sneering at him and who are, are still casting insults at him and saying, if you are the Christ, come down from the cross and we'll believe. Well, he saved others. He can't save himself. Huh. What a tragedy. He couldn't turn to his right hand or to his left hand to either one of those thieves. Both of the thieves, as Matthew and Mark record, were casting insults in his direction. We know that there was one thief that had a change of heart sometime in that, that period whenever they were, they were being crucified. But at one point, both of them were both casting insults. He can't look down at the faces that are, that are down below him. He can't look beside him. Where is he going to look? It's interesting to me that Jesus, in the midst of mankind's cruelty, in the absolute worst that man could do, Three out of the seven things that Jesus utters as he's there on the cross are prayers. Are direct petitions to the Father. And brothers and sisters, when we're hurt, when there's pain that we go through here in this life, two of the first casualties of that pain and that hurt are our prayer life, our talking to God in a meaningful way, and also our intake of God's word. This is an admonition to say that when we're hurt, don't hurt God by doing things that are out of character with a disciple, with out of character with a, with a Christian and what a Christian's designed to be and, and what they're designed to do. We know that God is with us. We know that there's nothing that's going to be able to separate us from the love of Christ. That's Romans 8 verse 35. And he goes on, he says, what about uh, tribulation or peril or, or, or distress or nakedness, or, or, or persecution, or, or distress, or any of those things. It says there's nothing. But what about those things that can definitely hurt us? We know God is near to the brokenhearted. We know God is near to help when we're in the midst of a difficulty, a fiery trial, a hardship. God doesn't want us to sacrifice our relationship with him or hurt that relationship just because we're hurting. One of the best things we can do is every time we have the, the ability and the, the inclination to go back and revisit that hurt and touch it again and think about how bad it feels is to turn our faces upward and talk to God about it. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 simply says, pray without ceasing. 
How much more whenever we are hurt? Number two, what do we do when we're hurt? We need to think deeply about this statement. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. There were times on this earth that Jesus got angry. There were times that Jesus was furious. And you look at those things and they were centered particularly around the way that God's people were treating God's things. John chapter 2, as Jesus makes that whip of cords and he begins to overturn those tables and, and drive out those, those, those money changers and those oxen and those, those animals there on that occasion. There's no doubt that he was angry. But his anger was directed in a righteous way. Notice Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath and give place to the devil. There is a place for anger when we're hurt. There is a place for anger and being upset about what's happened. But we had best think about the five aspects of how we're angry and how those things need to focus our righteous anger. We need to really think about who we're angry at. Who are we angry at? What's the source of our anger? What are we angry at? Who, what, where? Where does that source come from? Where do I need to think about being angry and expressing that in a righteous way? How do I express that anger? How do I let somebody know? Do I, does that give me the liberty to fly off the handle and really just, just, just let things go and just vent every one of my feelings? Why? Why of my anger? Because as we look at those things, if all of those are in place, and centered around it is something that's offended God and centered around it is something that hurts him and hurts his relationship and hurts my relationship with that person, then those are things that I absolutely have the right to be angry about. Again, it does give me the right to express that in a rage. I need to think about the place of my anger and really how best to express that to other people. Now, Romans 12, 19-21 talks about how we deal with our enemies and how we express the disappointment and the frustration that comes with people hurting us and with the hardship that we feel. We need to think about being angry but not sinning. Number three, beware of the poison of bitterness. Beware of the poison of bitterness. I don't know how best to express this, and so I'm going to borrow somebody else's words because it's absolutely accurate. Bitterness is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Bitterness is like drinking rat poison and then sitting around and watching and waiting for that rat to die. If we are not careful... We can take those wounds, we can take those hurts, we can take that cruelty, and we can go back again and again in our minds, and we can revisit again and touch it, and we can say, oh, if I had it to do over again. Oh, if I could go back to that situation in that moment, this is how I would handle it. Oh, I can't believe that that person could be so cruel to me or somebody that I loved. I cannot believe that they would do that. And we find ourselves nursing those wounds again and again and again. You know, the Bible talks about certain sins as root sins. You ever think about that? 
how the certain things that we deal with and how we handle things in this life that are, what call, are what's called root sins. You know, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5 uh, that you've heard it was said, those of old, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, he that looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says lust is a root sin. We know that 1 Timothy chapter 6 says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is a root sin. But when you look also at bitterness... Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And he says, beware lest there be in you a root of bitterness springing up and thereby causing many to become defiled. Bitterness is a root sin. It can poison us from the inside out. And as we go back to the mental scene of the crime, you know what bitterness has a tendency to do? It has a tendency to try and scrub certain pieces of that crime scene. And it goes back and it scrubs that piece of the crime scene as often as we do it until we just have this anger and this resentment because we know that there was something that happened there. But then as the time goes by and we think about those things, our facts can sometimes get skewed in our minds. The ways that we look at things can get skewed in our minds. And bitterness, bitterness can sometimes cause us to think everything's okay but the next time you see that person, how do you feel? What do you think about? Sometimes it may be that I can't speak peaceably to that person anymore. I can't think about them without getting super angry. I can't help myself but feel this amazing amount of hatred towards that person and malice, that seething, burning feeling towards them. Because I've let bitterness grow up in my heart. And it's not just going to affect me, it's going to affect those around me. That's the truth of the matter in this root sin called bitterness. Beware of bitterness. The remedy for that, number four, is this. Have a heart that's ready to forgive. Have a heart that's ready to forgive. Jesus prayed right there in Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. When God actually answered that prayer was in Acts chapter 2, whenever Peter preached the very first sermon on Pentecost. And he told them, this Jesus that you have done this unspeakable cruelty towards, this Jesus that you have taken by lawless hands and nailed to the cross, God's taken that Jesus in a way that you don't expect. And God has sat him on his throne, and he is now both Lord and Christ. And those Jews on that occasion, the very ones that a couple days before had just been crying out, crucify him, crucify him, we want this man dead. We'd much rather have a murderer walking around on the street. Those same Jews were pricked to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they looked at themselves in a deep way, and they said, what are we supposed to do about this? Men and brethren, how can we make this right? And God offered his forgiveness on that occasion through Jesus Christ. Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And those Jews on that occasion that accepted the message of God, that accepted the forgiveness of God, became the very first disciples, the very first church there in Jerusalem. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a couple of things. 
Let me start this way. Forgiveness is not a couple of things. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes when my kids get into squabbles, happens sometimes, and I say, okay, you need to issue an apology. You're the offender in this matter. Can you, can you apologize to your brother or your sister? I'm sorry. Brother or sister says, it's okay. For little things like that, maybe. But when you're talking about somebody that's bearing an inordinate amount of hurt and loss and pain and difficulty because of something that I've done or because of something you've done, and as they're bearing that burden and that loss, we'd better think about being compassionate the way the Lord has been compassionate with us. Matthew chapter 18, you remember that Jesus tells Peter that shocking 70 times 7 passage there of Scripture where Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he says, up to seven times? Peter thought he was being generous on that occasion. Jesus says, no, no, Peter, it's up to 70 times 7. And he goes on to talk about this man who owes this king 10,000 talents. Think about this man owing the equivalent of our national debt. He owes this to this king, and this king has got this, this receipt for this, this money that he's given this man, and he's got a debt that can't be collected. And as the man falls down and begins to look at himself and say, give me time and I'll repay everything, the king has compassion on him, you remember? As the king has compassion on him, he says, I forgive the debt. What does that mean? That means that king that's got that hurt and that wrong that's been done to him takes the loss and takes it willingly for the sake of the other person. What motivates that? Compassion. And the story's not over there because that same man who's been forgiven, that 10,000 talents, goes out and finds a fellow servant, his fellow slave, and he begins to say, you owe me 100 denarii. Again, that's not a small figure. That's about six months' wage. He says, you owe this to me. He begins to choke him and say, pay back what you owe. With the same words, that slave that's being choked has now said, wait for me. Hold on. I can pay you everything. He's unwilling. He doesn't have that compassion. And he has that man cast into prison until he should pay the debt. King hears about it. The king goes back to this man and says, now wait a minute. If I forgave you such a large amount, shouldn't you forgive and shouldn't you show compassion to the one who owes you very little? And the king says, I'm going to put you in prison. Kind of an ineffective way to deal with somebody's debt, but the issue is, brothers and sisters, having a heart of forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't minimize the debt. Forgiveness says, I'm going to erase the debt that you have. I'm going to bear the pain and the loss that you've done to me, and I'm going to do it because I love and I have compassion on you. We have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, because of what we've been forgiven, to forgive others. Again, not minimizing the hurt, not taking that away, the cruelty that sometimes people do to us, but realizing that God wants us to deal with it in the way that he's dealt with us. And looking at the compassion that he's shown us, shouldn't we go out and show that same compassion to others? Lastly this morning, number five, we need to be honest about next time. 
Be honest about next time. The fact is, again, if the Lord delays in his coming, if you and I are around for any more length of time, the truth of the matter is, is that this is going to happen again. Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me. And lest we think that this is a one-time thing, and lest we think that we can anticipate every way that we're going to be hurt and every way that somebody's going to show us cruelty, we can anticipate the people that we do expect to hurt us. But you know what's going to be harder for us next time is realizing that there's going to be people that hurt us that we don't expect. I can't believe that that brother or that sister said that thing to me. I can't believe that that brother or sister treated me that way. We're all fall short of the glory of God. We're all fallible people. We all make mistakes. Unless we think that these things are one-time incidents, they're not. Because that's part of living in this life. And think about the next time when you actually may be the one that shows cruelty or hurts somebody else. When you look at the way that God has created us and the way that he's put us here on this earth, but then the way that we sometimes selfishly and thoughtlessly and carelessly deal with other people, yes, you and I can be potentially the cause for somebody else's hurt. And that's just the truth of the matter. There's humility in saying there is one perfect, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the one that we're trying to model our feet after and follow after every single day. But I don't do that perfectly. Please understand, if you're expecting per, uh, per, uh, sinless perfection from the man that's standing here this morning, you're going to be disappointed. I'm going to hurt you. But realizing that how we deal with it has more of an opportunity to give glory to God than the hurt itself. Isn't it true that God is able to do his best work when man does his worst. Again, I draw our minds back to the cross. You have the culmination of envy, jealousy, hatred, all culminating in those Jews standing before a Roman government and saying, crucify him. He is not fit to live anymore. And through the unspeakable acts that are done to our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, God did his best work. How we handle when we're hurt and how we handle when we're disappointed is going to give more of an opportunity to God to be glorified through that matter and through that difficulty than it would have been if we'd never been hurt in the first place. Because we need to handle it like Christians. We need to handle it and. What that's going to entail is us being crucified and saying, I'm going to take the hurt and loss so God can be glorified in this matter. Those things we mentioned this morning, those are things that we all ought to think about with regard to how we behave. And God forbid if any of us are the people that have hurt and have caused pain and have caused difficulty, then what we need to do is we need to do some serious soul searching and we need to repent We need to be strong enough and we need to to trust in the Lord enough to trust his way to say, I need to go to this person. I need to beg for forgiveness and say, listen, I have hurt you by my actions and this is how. It's not okay. It's painful. But we have an opportunity to see the grace of God 
And that's what this is all about. It's God's grace being shown through imperfect people. Do you need his grace this morning? Do you need the saving message of Jesus Christ and the gospel? Do you need the love of God poured out on you? And the answer to all of those questions is, yes, we all need the gospel. Yes, we all need the grace of God. Yes, we all need the love of God more in our lives. And maybe this morning there's somebody who hasn't been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. We're going to offer that invitation this morning. The water stands ready. The Lord stands ready to receive. But maybe there's somebody here who's fallen or failing or in distress because of the hurts of this life. That's what we're here for. The church is a hospital for a sick. It's not a museum where it's very cold and where you can't touch anything. It's something where we lean upon one another. We need one another. God doesn't want us to be Lone Ranger Christians. He wants us to trust one another and to confess our trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, James chapter 5. Do you need that this morning? Lord stands ready. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.